All right, it has been a while since we've been in… I don't like wearing those things that messes up my hair. Um, it's been a while since we've been in the book of Ephesians. We had… Um, what did we have? We had our ice cream fellowship, and we had our members meeting. And so, after two weeks in between, now we're three weeks out, uh, we're finally back to Ephesians 5. So, I want to remind you kind of where we've been, all right? And I want to pick up with the verses right before our text for tonight, where Paul writes, at one time you were darkness. The darkness is more than just around you, it's in you, because we're sinners by birth and by choice. But now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. And we've talked about this concept. We, we do what we are. If we are darkness, we do the deeds of darkness, the works of darkness. If we are light, we do the deeds of light. This, this is the, this is the um, really the miraculous thing about Christianity. It's not just about you're finding a new list of things to do. It's that God changes you from the inside out. God gives you life that now is going to flow out and reflect the life of God that's in you. So, the things that God calls us to do, the way He calls us to live is just, all He's doing is saying, look, live consistent with who you are now in Christ. And that's what Paul is doing here. And then he talks about, for the fruit of light, and of course we know that, that plants need light to grow well, is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Test what you're thinking about doing and decide, prove that this is actually what you ought to do. Well, that, that raises the question, okay, so what does that look like? What what does it mean to, to live life with that kind of wisdom where you're, you're discerning what you ought to be doing, what you ought not be doing? How do you take this concept of I'm now light in the Lord and then decide what you ought to be doing, what you ought not be doing? And that's what he's going to develop. And we're, it's really a pretty simple uh, way of developing it here, but I think it'll be really helpful to us. So he, he elaborates, what is this what does this look like? He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, that they're doing in the dark. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What I'd like to do is give you just a really simple outline that I I think is spot-on accurate with the text, but also will help us remember, come Monday morning, what life is supposed to look like. And so, it breaks down this way. First, refuse. If if, If it's no more darkness in your life, start by refusing the works of darkness. You're turning your back on the things that you used to do, the company used to keep in terms of, of your activities. So, refuse. And then second, refute. And we're going to find that that's actually related to the definition that tells us to expose these works of darkness. And so, what does that mean? And, and the, the core meaning of it is the idea of refuting. And then third, we see that word rise, arise from the dead. Um, awake, O sleeper. Get up from your nap, 
Get up from the grave, and Christ will shine on you. Rise and shine. So what I'm hoping is with these three points in our mind, refuse, refute, rise and shine, we have kind of a simple outline, a simple way of saying what life looks like when we're discerning what's pleasing to the Lord is those that are now children of light rather than children of darkness. So let's first talk about this refusing part, the refusing. And we want to, there's some interesting ways that, that Paul describes this. He's already talked about not being partners with them, but here I use a little different term, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Now what's cool about this particular word, it's, it's, it's actually related to a word that's very special in the Christian life. And the word is fellowship, okay? You can tell I did not write. By the way, Emily Barney does the writing of this. She's an elementary school teacher, and we all know how elementary school teachers write. Like, they write perfect. Um, I'm not an elementary school teacher. Okay, so, fellowship. And the idea of fellowship is to have in common. In fact, it, you maybe have actually heard the Greek term, koinonia. How many of you have heard that, koinonia? Yeah, it's kind of a popular way, you know, you've got kind of a hip way, it's like a Greek way of, of saying fellowship, okay? And it means to have in common. For instance, the New Testament was written in the common Greek. That is the Greek that was commonly spoken, spoken in the marketplace. And it, it is the koine. Greek, the common Greek. So koinonia is to have in common. And so we say, hey, let's get together for some fellowship. What that generally means is let's get together and have in common some coffee. Let's have in common some cinnamon rolls. Let's have in common some kind of really good meal. We're going to have fellowship. In fact, we even say that, right? We're going to have a fellowship after the service. What does that mean? Food. You say, well, you know, that, you know, that's kind of, you know how Baptists are. They're going to do that food thing. No, that's really the concept of fellowship is this idea of sharing, of having in common. So it's actually not a bad way of explaining what's going on. We are having in common. We are having fellowship. But in this case, when we say take no part, it's no fellowship. Don't have in common, don't be sharing the same unfruitful works of darkness. Now, usually, you know, when we're working, if we work, the, the reason we're working is to produce something. But in this case, it's not producing. It's unfruitful. We have been born again. We have been rescued by God so that we would be fruitful, so that we, we have been saved unto good works. God has created us in Christ Jesus unto good works. That is works that are beautiful, works that are beneficial. So we always want to keep in mind that, that sin is not just breaking the rules. Sin is also harmful. It's just inherently harmful. The reason God has a rule against it 
The reason God says it's wrong is because it is harmful. And that's why Jesus and the apostles could sum up all the law and the prophets with what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because love does no harm to another person. And so when I'm thinking about serving God, I want to think about being fruitful, about being helpful, about being beneficial. And, and if I'm alive in Christ, I ought to be producing this kind of good fruit. Fruit comes from life. On the other hand, if something's unfruitful, if it's the opposite, like darkness doesn't grow fruit trees. If we wrap the world in darkness, the fruit trees die and, and they rot. In fact, when we talk about darkness, we talk about what's corrupt and what's deadly or dying, and, and corruption is coming from death. You know, the cute little squirrel that was running up and down the oak tree in the front of your yard, if he dies, he's not cute anymore, at least not for very long, because he's going to rot unless some hawk gets him or something, no, something eats him first. He's, he's going to become corrupt. It's going to stink. It's not going to be healthy. You're not going to go like, oh, I feel like having squirrel stew for lunch today. No, because it's corrupt. It's not beneficial or helpful. So, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. And so, one of the things that we want to remember about these works, I mean, people are working at doing what's wrong. If we're a sinner by birth and by choice, we used to work at doing what was wrong. This was our, this is the way we live. But, but it's unfruitful. It, it, it's harmful. It doesn't produce benefit. Um, there's another thing that describes these, this darkness, and that's this word shameful. You know, people are big on talking about shame today. We don't want to be stigmatized. We don't want to be shamed. But, but here, he recognizes. So you've got these two descriptions. And think about this. Every time you're tempted to sin, remember that you're talking about you're being tempted to do something that's unfruitful, it's corrupt, and, and it's also shameful. Well, why would he call it shameful? I mean, you could use a synonym for this disgraceful. You know, part of it is like, oh, well, if, if somebody knew uh, that, that this was exposed, if somebody knew about it, it, I would be ashamed. There's that part. But I want you to think a little further about it. I want you to think about actually a cross-reference. I'm just going to put Romans 1. Oops. Romans 1. The good thing I said it so you could tell what I was writing. Um, Romans 1, because there talks about people that did not like to retain God in their minds, and God giving them over, God delivering them up to dishonor their bodies with, with certain kinds of sins. And you think about, well, wait a minute, why, why does it dishonor me to participate in works of darkness? Why is that dishonoring to me? Well, th think about what is it that makes, that gives a human being dignity? What is it? Why should we treat every human being with respect? Why should we love our neighbor as ourselves? 
Well, the answer is we're made in God's image. We're made in God's image. We're blessed by God to to fill the earth, to subdue it, to exercise dominion over it. The work that we do is, is as those that have been made governors of the earth by God himself. Our dignity, our worth has to do with the fact that in the beginning that God created us in his image, male and female in the image of God. He created them. This is my dignity. This is why to murder somebody is to actually attack someone made in the image of God. It's an attack against God. To slander somebody, same thing. To belittle somebody, same thing. This is the reason we treat people with honor is because they're made in God's image. And how we treat them reflects how we actually think about God. So, follow with me. When I engage in what is rebellion against God, I dishonor myself. I belittle who I am and what I was created for. I was created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And here I am giving myself to something that dishonors God and rebels against God and says, I'd rather have something else instead. It, it actually is a shameful thing. Now, you'll notice that text says it's, it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Okay, so, so why is that? Well, we, we talk about what we think about and what we love. It, it's one way we enjoy what is good. Like if you had this really, let's say you, you had, a, had a really cool vacation, maybe you went to some place you've always wanted to go, and, and the downside of it is the vacation is over. How do you keep enjoying the vacation? Well, you can keep flipping through your, all the pictures that you took now that we have, you know, smartphones, but, but you're also going to talk about it. And, and maybe if it was a particularly great trip, if it was a particularly great experience, you're going to talk about it for years. In fact, when you get old and gray, you're going to go, remember when we took that trip? You know, we took that trip to wherever it was that you thought was so cool. That, that, was, that was amazing. I, I hope someday I get to go back there. We talk about what we love. And, and in fact, we, you know, even before you took the trip, you started talking about it. You know, it'd be so cool if we could go to, right? We talk about the things that we love, and, and we think about the things that we're talking about. It, it's one way we reinforce also what we believe and enjoy. It's why... When we come together on the Lord's Day, we, have you noticed, we keep singing the same truths over and over and over again. And, you know, Uncle Fred will line everything up with the theme of the day, and we just keep singing, this is true, this is true, this is true. Jesus has died for me. Jesus rose again. God's promises will always hold sway. We keep telling ourselves this. We keep talking about it. Why? It reinforces what we hold to be true and what we value. Well, that's great if what you're talking about are things that are noble and things that actually build people up and aren't harmful, but, but, but we don't want to do the same thing with what is bad. And that's why earlier in the chapter, Paul is forbidden filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. Sometimes we call it locker room talk. Why would you engage in locker room talk? What's the point of that? 
that is in itself corrupting of you. It's a shameful thing. You can corrupt yourself and others with the words you use, the topics you discuss. So don't think that as long as you don't actually follow through with doing something that's impure or immoral, that it's okay to talk about it. You may not be dirtying your hands yet, but you're contaminating your mind and your heart, and that kind of damage is far-reaching out of the heart from the issues of life. And the fact is, one of the things that people do to get their nerve up to do something that's wrong is they keep talking about it. We keep talking about it and kind of rehearsing it in our mind and, and picturing what it would be like, and, and eventually it... it it, it corrupts our hearts immediately, but then it eventually breaks out into more of our life. When we talk about such things, we have to think about such things, and we break down our resistance to them. Now, here's the thing. There's, there's no need to talk about that stuff. No need at all. Because there's plenty to talk about that actually builds up people and that pleases God. There's plenty to talk about that's, that is the stuff of life that, that's beautiful, and so we want, to, we want to fill our mouth and our mind with what is good and not with what is rotten. You know, think about this. You know, life, life it's hard to imagine it when you're younger, whatever, however you want to define that. It's hard to imagine how short life actually is. You know it theoretically, but it's hard to imagine. As we get older, it starts to dawn on us more and more. We knew it all along, but now it's like in your face knowing it. Okay? Life is precious, and every moment of your life is precious. Use those moments for good. Don't waste your life on, on what's rotten. Like if you say, okay, let's go out for dinner. Well, are you going to go out to dinner to eat something that tastes good? Or are you going to go, you know what? There is a hog farm not far from here, and those hogs love the slop. I mean, they, they just like, they just eat up all that stuff. I mean, it smells horrible, but they clearly love it. Let's go have some hog slop. Hey, honey, how about some hog slop? It's date night. Let's go out and eat some hog slop. No. Or let's say, you know, there's perfectly good water that's running in the sewer. Why are we drinking this that's coming out the tap? Well, because that water's corrupt. It's, it's not going to be good for me, where there, whereas hopefully the water coming out of the tap is going to be something you can drink without getting sick. Well, same thing with what you think about and what you talk about. And so remember what Paul reminded us about in Philippians 4 when he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then if you're thinking about them, guess what? You're also going to talk about them. And if you're talking about them, you're going to be thinking about them. So we, we don't want to take any part. We want to have no fellowship whatsoever. We want to refuse the unfruitful works of darkness all the way down to even talking about them. We're not going to even bother doing that. The second thing that we want to do is refute. And that's this word. We skipped over it. This word, well, I should use a different color just for at least variety. Um, we're going to refute, we're going to expose them. And 
so he's going to pick this up again with verses that follow. So we're going to jump to those verses. When anything is exposed by the light, same word, okay, it becomes visible. So this term, this term has the idea exposing the unfruitful works of darkness. Um, Actually, when you first read that, you're going, wait a minute, you just said don't talk about it, so how can I expose them? It seems like a, a contradiction. So what's Paul getting at here? To expose has the idea of bringing to light, of demonstrating, of proving. Um, it can be used, this word is used for convicting or convincing someone of something, to pointing something out. It has the idea of reproving or correcting or refuting. It's to convince by means of evidence. So, so what we're doing is we're actually, we're actually calling darkness what it is. It's not that we're spending time talking about darkness, it's that we're calling darkness what it is. We're identifying it for what it is. We're, we're refuting it. By its very nature, light exposes what is actually there. When anything's exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Anything that becomes visible is light. We, we can't see without the light. So, light reveals what's actually there. It's not that when you turn on the light, it produces what's there. It reveals what's there. Whereas when we, if we shroud something in darkness, then we can hide, we can camouflage what's actually there. Well, what does this mean about the works of darkness? We want to treat them in line with their true nature. We want to convince and prove and correct so that neither we ourselves nor anyone else takes part in them. Anyone else that we would care about takes part in them. We're we're not going to pretend like the works of darkness are okay. You know, different strokes for different folks. We're, We're absolutely not going to affirm the works of darkness. Absolutely not. One of the biggest popular lies of our times is that we show love to people by affirming that their deeds of darkness are okay. That is true only in a universe other than what God created and other than what God rules. And what's striking about this, that you, don't, you could be probably five years old and still realize how shocking this is, because while the world has always been out of whack, this idea of affirming what is evil is, is fairly recent development. Affirming evil is evil. That's not the way that we show love to, to people. That um, does not mean that it's right to treat sinning people with contempt. Jesus didn't treat sinning people with contempt. He died for them. He, he welcomes us to have our sins cleansed and to be forgiven. So we don't treat people with contempt. Far from it. We want to love them. But love loving them faithfully and courageously. The Proverbs talks about faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, a person that's a true friend has the courage to actually not just look the other way when you're doing something that's destructive, but to confront you, 
To affirm their sin is to encourage what is killing them, and that is not love. That's cowardice at best. It has the practical effect of hating them and hating God because you're encouraging them to continue what is destroying them, and you're treating God as if He's a lying bully. You're actually, you're actually making yourself an ally of the enemy of their soul. You're actually saying, Satan, I'm siding with you on this one. It actually is okay. God, God is not going to judge you. You will not surely die. God's trying to hold you back from being fulfilled if you think that's what God is saying. Okay? I'm going to affirm your sin because I love you. No. That, what parent rears a kid like that? You know, I'm going to put, put your finger in the outlet because I know you deeply want to do it. Run, run through rush hour traffic because I know how badly you want to see if you can dodge all the cars. We just don't do that to people that we love. That doesn't mean that we are ridiculing them, that we're putting them down. No, we're on a rescue operation. We're trying to win them to the light. Sin loves darkness, and part of getting rid of it is turning the light on. So we want to turn the light on, and we want to welcome people to leave the darkness and come in to the light. And that leads us to the third way that we exercise this discernment, uh, this discerning lifestyle, and that is to rise and shine. So far, we've been refusing the works of darkness. We've been refuting them. That, that sounds like it's all negative. So what about positive, okay? Rise and shine. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Well, if you're reading along, one of the things you want to do when you're reading along and, and you see something that you're not sure what it means, you want to ask yourself. Don't just, like, slide over it. So it says, therefore it says. Therefore what says? How many of you had that question? Therefore what says? I mean, where is this quoting from? Where, did, where in the world does this come from? Well, it's possibly a combination of, of some Old Testament passages. And probably the closest ones to it are two from Isaiah. In Isaiah 16, verse 1, this is the one that sounds most like, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And this is, of course, looking forward to the time of Messiah. But then you've got this reference to rising from the dead. So it also sounds like it's coming from Isaiah 26, 19. Our dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is the dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Talking about resurrection. Of course, these themes of the light shining and rising from sleep and rising from the dead are all things that he's been talking about. It's possible, and this is what uh, one of the commentators I, I read um, speculated, and that is it's possible these words are actually from an early Christian hymn that summed up biblical concepts like we find in Isaiah and others of the prophets. So, going back to not just for kids, look, we turn out the lights when we want to sleep. We put on those, I had to look up what those are called. I think they're called 
sleep eye mask or something like that. I'm sure there's some fancy word for them, but um, anyway, we, we want the lights out when we're going to sleep. And the ultimate sleep is the sleep of death. There's no need of light for a dead body. Nobody, you know, you see some of these like big, big in these monuments where they have like, I guess you mainly see them in on TV and whatever. You don't always bury people in the ground. Sometimes you have them in these rooms. Well, as far as I know, there's not lights in there. Okay? Uh, maybe there are. Does anybody know? Are there lights in there? I don't think anybody staying in there needs the light. Okay? Maybe somebody that has to clean up the place or something. But anyway, we don't need light. A dead body doesn't need light. It's someone who is awake and alive and active that needs light to do their God-given work, okay? If you've got to do something, even in the middle of the night, you need some kind of light to be able to do it. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So we don't want to sleep through life unaware of reality. We want to open our eyes and turn the light on. We don't want to live in the corruption of death. Once we were dead in our sins, once we were in darkness, right down to the depths of who we are in our soul, but now we're alive, we're awake. We see what's going on. We have a mission to fulfill. And we don't want to waste our life. So let Christ, the Savior King, the light of the world, shine on you with heavenly blessings. Think about sunshine just flooding your life. Let him shine on you and through you to everyone around you. Rise and shine. So this week, this week, you, you can't go two directions at once. You're going to refuse the unfruitful works of darkness. You're going to refute them. You're going to expose them for what they are so that you can rise and shine and let Jesus shine on you and through you. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word, how practical it is. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us refuse the darkness, help us call it what it is, and help us rise and shine. Help us shine not just for our own sakes, but for your glory and for the good of everyone around us. For it's in Christ's name we pray.